0: Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please
1: enjoy your podcast.
2: Good afternoon, listeners, this is the Dogs program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, and we're here at noon every Saturday, without fail. And we've got a fairly full program for you this afternoon. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have Jeff with us again, and he's been continuing some of his research into what's happening in uh, America, which is of interest to us since Mr. Morrison has just about made us a state. Uh, with his um, gallivanting around. And um, we've also got some uh, very interesting material from the Australian Education Union and the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Angelo Gavriottis, uh COVID recovery, consult us, don't, ins- don't insult us. Other uh, teachers have indicated how absolutely essential they are to keeping the next generation going, particularly in our public schools around Australia,
3: and um,
2: the treatment meted out to them by the politicians is not very good at all. Uh, Maddie has got some interesting material. Uh, uh, there's new uh, another study, new research that indicates that disadvantaged students do better than advantaged ones once they get to uni, if they get to uni, and Sorrell is going to tell us uh, quite a lot about dyslexia. Uh, And, um, of course, we've got the Great State School to end off. We've got a very interesting one. Uh, It is up in the north of Melbourne, where they have been having so much trouble with uh, the Delta strain of COVID. But let's get the show on the road. Press release, 908. Uh, It is called... Public schools are the cornerstone of democracy. Lessons from America. And you'll find it on our website at www.padogs.info. Now, the separation of religion from the state has proved stronger in the United States than in Australia, largely because of the fact that until recently their Supreme Court was not stacked with school people like our High Court has been. But uh, there has been recent stacking of the American Supreme Court by the Trump administration. And religious schools over there are starting to receive money, but they have not yet received the extraordinary largest from the American Treasury, which has been enjoyed by the religious sector in Australia. But in recent years, American supporters of public education have been stuck discovering the ways in which privatisation of their once proud public system through the charter school movement and the undermining of that same system by religious schools has progressed. For not only is public education under threat in both America and Australia, the political system of which it is the cornerstone is also under threat. In America, as in Australia, Supporters of public education are mobilising to defend their schools and their democracy. Their ideals and their arguments mirror very largely what dogs have been saying and doing in Australia for the last 60 years. And a recent blog post by Dennis Smith, reproduced by Diane Ravitch, and it's going to be brought to us by Jeff, Thanks, Jeff, for this. Uh, It's on her website and her own blog. And Dennis Smith argues that if we lose public schools, we'll lose our democracy. Over to you, Jeff.
4: Yeah, thanks, Jean. Um, It's from an article here originally titled Public Schools, Vouchers, Privatisation and Educational Choice. Be careful what you wish for. Now, Dennis Smith is uh, an educator. He worked for many years with the Ohio Department of Education, finishing his career in the office for charter schools. He writes in the uh, Ohio Capital Journal about the existential threat posed to our democracy. Uh, His advice is be careful what you wish for. In the last few months, he writes, Americans have witnessed a series of of assaults by the political right on key parts of the bedrock principles of democracy. Those attacks include new restrictions on voting rights in more than half the states, storming of the US Capitol on January 6 by thousands of insurrectionists, and most recently, clear evidence that the former president pressured the top leadership of the Justice Department to help him overturn the 2020 election results. Certainly, he says, these scary developments are newsworthy and have garnered banner headlines and filled Airtime on the evening news. But these high profile assaults on our democracy have served to obscure another, perhaps even more serious threat, an added variant and supplement to the seditious behaviour of the insurrectionists and a twice impeached president who encouraged their assault on democracy. In the midst of the chaos caused by the angry militia types working to keep in power the rogue administration and being mindful of the distraction these events have caused, it's past time to get educated about the future viability of public education. While the US Capitol was placed under assault some months ago, public education has been targeted for 40 years. When Ronald Reagan signalled his followers that the public sector sector was undesirable and that private enterprise was always preferable in the nation, his attitude was immortalised in his remark that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are I am from the government and I am here to help. That's my <laughs> obvious bad American accent. This observation has been interpreted by the right as a command from Reagan himself to privatise about everything in the public sector except the military as part of an ideology which holds that private enterprise is always preferable to public function. to a, to a public function. That thinking has morphed into a crusade to destroy perhaps the most recognised and common artefact in any community the public school. Um, He goes on to talk about the history of uh, the idea of the public school coming from uh, uh, Horace Mann, who is considered the father of public education in America. In his role as the first commissioner of education in Massachusetts, uh, Horace Mann believed that, in in quote, education should be free and universal, non-sectarian, democratic in method, and reliant on well-trained professional teachers. As man's 19th century idea of the common school, uh, I'm not sure if it was 19th century or 18th century, of the common school spread across the new American Republic in villages, small towns and cities where communities shared and accepted values were honored and embraced. The little red schoolhouse became an icon, the force that helped to mold the very idea of community. That was the America we recognised until several decades ago. Today, attacked by insurrectionists, attacks by insurrectionists attired in their camis and state legislators dressed in business suits, are hard at work to undermine that very sense of community, of place. Instead of embracing the idea of place, the community and its schools which educated generation after generation, those same legislators mumble vaguely about something they call socialism or government schools and instead espouse something else called educational choice. That word choice, often used in the same sentence with freedom, serves as the anti-government elixir peddled by legislators to further encourage insurrectionists and religious zealots who do not accept the idea of community and its public or common schools.
2: Well, haven't
4: we, haven't we found that in Australia again and again? We have, Jean, and it's used as a wedge to divide people for yep. various political purposes. Indeed. And there's no doubt that the divisions of society create the opportunity for uh, a ruling elite, uh, as opposed to a commonwealth of educational knowledge and experience. Um, and the American people. You know, the American motto was E Pluribus Unum, which he gets to further in the article, which uh, means, you know, from the many, the one. And that is actually underlying the whole principle of the separation of church and state, that by creating a divided community, they can never be one. This is something we learnt after the War of Independence, that we come from everywhere, but we need to be one to survive. And that's uh, a communal thinking that has very much built the Western world.
2: Well, um, they also knew going further back about what the divisions on religious lines meant in Europe.
4: Well, blood the Enlightenment. After bloodshed,
2: after bloodshed, after bloodshed.
4: Hundreds and hundreds of years of religious turmoil in Europe, um, not only between Catholics and, and Protestants, but also, I mean, the, the Turks coming in from the from the East with Islam and those, all those Mel- all that melange of, of spiritual belief interfering with politics. The English crusaders division, crusades, you name it, in endless divisions of communities. So the Americans, in their wisdom of separation of church and state, wanted to build a place that very much accepted people from everywhere. That's e pluribum and, and made them one, unis, e-pluribum unis being the motto. Oh,
2: some of our forefathers, um, particularly English Clark and Henry Parks and others, they knew about this history too, and Indeed. they they knew what had happened in America and followed America.
4: And they'd seen what so happened that was in why Ireland and England. The new
2: the new, the new world we came to yep. the new world, and it now was, unfortunately we're going back into the old world.
4: People wanted to leave that behind, and with good reason because they remembered what it was like. I think these days people have forgotten what those yeah. divisions can do. I mean, I looked at the fact that America had a, a Latin motto called e, U, e, e, Pluribus Unum, mm-hmm. and I looked at Australia's motto. We used to have a motto. We don't actually have one at the moment. It was, it became Advanced Australia for a while, which in Latin would, which isn't in Latin, but it would be Progressus Australia. But um, I suggest that the current people uh, want to take us to Nihil, Australia which is do nothing, Australia, or worse, regretty, Australia, which is go back, yeah. Australia. Um, so anyway, to continue with uh, this this uh, lovely article by Dennis Smith, um, he, he, he points to these words, choice, freedom and liberty, and he adds one more he finds dangerous, which is that... Um, uh, The individual choice, as a phrase, Uh, he claims that it's all about me and my freedom to choose, regardless of compelling community needs. I actually wonder if this might actually go back to uh, Seinfeld, because the whole point of Seinfeld is that the the adults behave as children, as two-year-olds. The reason it's funny is because inside everybody is a two-year-old who says, "It's I'm the only thing that matters," and they make selfish and irrational choices all the time, and that's well, funny. Well, we've just
2: seen it on the streets of Melbourne. We have, we have. It's very sad. Hmm.
4: Yeah. So, uh, regardless of casting
3: Jerry,
4: uh, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld as the as the uh, enemy of uh, civilization, I'll move on. Um, So as Horace Mann and John Dewey and other visionaries are laboured to establish a unified time in the history, the byproduct of this modern thinking is that it's all about me. It's centred as it is on the individual, not the community. This is, again, from uh, Dennis Smith. Uh, These protesters, talking about the capital insurrectionists and the anti-vaxxers, these protesters are seemingly also armed with the idea that personal freedom and individual choice trump any responsibility in caring for the well-being of others, whether by wearing a mask or being vaccinated against COVID. always amuses me that big men scared of a little jab. To hell with elections. It's all about me and what I believe. We are being told by those who protest the warnings of scientists and public health experts. Uh, And they say, to hell with the masks and the vaccinations. We don't need tyranny, they tell us. While we're at it, to hell with the idea of community. When it's all about me and what I believe, there's no room for what you value. It doesn't take many dots to connect the thinking with the deterioration of the idea of community, of being situated and of having common values like the public schools that we that were created to serve all youth in particular in a particular community. Uh, We hold that truth uh, to be self-evident, not he says. (laughs) But in all of these slogans like freedom and choice, be careful what you wish for. Uh, And he goes on to talk about how the Conservatives have basically uh, built this whole notion into a... Uh, you say it three times and people start believing it. <laughs> um, you know, so he doesn't say that, but he, it, he talks about the cookie-cutter legislation where he keeps, they have a system of destruction of community and public education where they go in, they decry the lack of choice. They, uh, they get people like Kosh... Who, Koch brothers, who fund the American Legislative Council, which exists to destroy education by taking the word public out of it and replacing elected school boards with charter schools, whose boards are hand picked by for profit chains rather than being elected by voters in a community.
2: Am I right in saying the Koch brothers have made their billions and billions on, on armaments? Or guns. I,
4: I'm not aware. I haven't looked into that. I can do that for you. Um, I, I think they're
2: part of the
4: gun lobby. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. They probably are part of the gun very, lobby. They defi- very, definitely very are. Information. Very,
2: influential.
4: Very influential. I don't know if they made their money in that, but they certainly support anything uh, ultra-conservative. They're, they're essentially the closest, well, they're ultra-right. Yeah.
2: Um,
4: and they certainly fund a lot of media organisations yep. uh, to promote fundamental right. Uh, think tanks. Think tanks, exactly. Uh, and much, uh, yeah, anyway, i we digress there. and he goes on so Smith goes on to talk about the the um, the public money being channeled by charter school systems and vouchers into a whole what is essentially a Star Wars bar of schools, everything from reasonably uh, appropriate schools, uh, say with a reasonable syllabus, right through to the ones who teach that dinosaurs are walking around with humans and that evolution is false and um, anything other than what uh, a particular religious um, book says is not true, that sort of thing, that sort of literalist interpretation of religion. And these people then go out into the world totally unprepared for anything such as a, a community understanding spirit. It's them or us mentality more dominating. So they make people into tribes. Uh, scattered tribes, and this, of course, suits the dominant tribes, the largest groups, um, who uh, are happy to wedge the smaller groups away from their own uh, means of getting public dollars channelled into their small uh, politics. Your tax dollars and mine.
2: What's so worrying is that it's all um, at the expense of the taxpayer. It is taxpayers' dollars which is enabling them to do this and um, they want to have it both ways and there's no accountability.
3: We actually need
2: an ICAC to have a look at the religious schools and the the competition are channelling into them.
3: I
4: I forget the exact percentage that Richard Dawkins was talking about of biology students who enter university believing uh, that evolution is a myth when it underpins all of medicine and all of biology, for example. Um, and that this is, you know, something like five to ten percent can enter university doing science and have beliefs all, channeled along those lines, um, completely mutually contradictory terms. Um, it's even more
2: worrying when, in fact, you have uh, schools that are run by some, a cult-like family that abuses mm-hmm. children and Scientologists, etc., cetera, etc.
4: Cetera. Well, not to pin the blame on any one particular group or party but just let's say with with a public education system you are guaranteed that at least the syllabus has oversight and has um has at least been ratified by a large number of say uh, senior teachers as being uh, at least the correct idea i mean science is not always right uh, we you know sometimes new information comes to light and as in the words of uh, Bill, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, you know, what, what we call when we're wrong in science is we call it learning. So when, when we learned originally that the continents were moving around and they used to fit together, um, you know, that used to be considered a myth or a, um, a conspiracy theory or something. But, yeah, you know what? Turns out they were right. Um, that actually happens. So science at least allows the progress it's of knowledge. The question of
2: the scientific Scientific method of thinking, but um, the the schools, the public schools, were set up in the first place because the uh, the politicians and the others, given that the vote had um, been given to all the men, not to all the women, but to all the men, whatever their um, their background, they said that they should educate their masters. That was um, it was very much a citizenship purpose, wasn't it, to begin with, and this seems to be being lost sight of at the moment.
4: That's right. And the public, the public campaign is a public health campaign, which is crucial right now. Um, I mean, I was just talking, uh, chatting to a friend who's a doctor at the Royal Melbourne, and she's just beside herself with grief, the fact that they're opening more and more wards, they're losing people every day now, um, and that's going to get worse. And a large proportion of that is being caused by people without uh, uh, enough grounding in public health knowledge and trust in public institutions, and a lot of this erosion has been caused by this division of public schooling and, and shared public knowledge yep. and civics.
2: Well, this is why we tried and we have kept trying and the dogs believe in the separation of religion from the state. And uh, back in America, well, our Section 16 is... Um, uh, based upon the establishment clause and we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back and I think we're going to have Maddie telling us about the establishment clause.
0: Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people.
2: Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs And all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kofiyas to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kofiyas.org.au. That's KUFIYAS.org.au, a 3CR supporter. Well, you're still listening to the dogs program, and is going to tell us about what's happened in America to the establishment cause. We're very interested in this because, as you know, the dogs took our establishment cause to the High Court and we lost, but um, this is the reason why in Australia there's now wholesale uh, entanglement of religion with the state.
1: But over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, I'm going to continue on with this blog post by Dennis Smith to explain the establishment clause. A product of the Enlightenment, the First Amendment's establishment clause, was crafted by the nation's founders, who knew that religious wars had consumed Europe in the centuries preceding the American Revolution. Currently in his home state of Ohio, a coalition of school districts is preparing a court challenge to check the legislature's intent to expand the state's voucher program, as not only a violation of the constitutional prohibitions against supporting sectarian schools, but also a violation of the Ohio Constitution's purpose to establish a system of common schools. I trust that this language from the Ohio Constitution is illustrative of how other states establish a system of public education. Um, Article six, section two, education. The General Assembly, shall make such provisions by taxation or otherwise, as with the income arising from the school trust fund, will secure a thorough and efficient system of common schools throughout the state, but no religious or other sect or sects shall ever have any exclusive right to or control of any part of the school funds of this state. Certainly, private and religious schools do not meet the definition of a common school that must be supported by public funds. Yet, in the name of educational choice, there is a nationwide movement to expand voucher programs that will support private and religious schools in spite of any establishment clause violation and other legal prohibitions. So, we return to the purpose of the common school as a unifying force to build community and not be a dividing force. As private and religious schools will be if they are put on an equal footing with public education through support with public funds. If all of these issues might seem to be troublesome, there is one which will likely prove to cause the most damage. How can you maintain the concept of e pluribus unum when public policy seems poised to support all types of schools and thus erode the idea of the common school. In this case, the Unum in our national motto, as the essential driver to ensure that children who come from many backgrounds form a single nation through our common schools. Indeed, we know that the mission of public education is to prepare young people to be skilled, literate and ethical citizens, but that's only part of it. Let's take a look at the Unum part of the equation. In an essay, about the role of public education written two decades ago, Kenneth Conklin, a Hawaii philosophy professor, raised some concerns about how a fragmented educational system can itself cause a fragmented society. Um, And this is a quote, if an educational system is altered, its transmission of culture will be distorted The easiest way to break apart a society long term without using violence is to establish separate educational systems for the groups to be broken apart. And that is what Conklin said. Public tax dollar support of private religious and charter schools clearly represent the establishment of separate educational systems. Such tax support violates the very idea of Horace Mann's common school, the very image of democracy in every community. Conklin also provides some additional advice for us to consider. He says, a society's culture can survive far longer than the lifespan of any of its members because its educational system passes down the folkways and knowledge of one generation to subsequent generations. A culture changes over time, but has a recognisable continuity of basic values and behavioural patterns that distinguishes it from other cultures. That continuity is provided by the educational system. Well, thank you very much, uh,
2: Maddie.
1: You're very welcome.
2: What's going to happen next? What next?
0: Sorrell, over to you. Thanks, Jean. What's next is we're in trouble. A community thrives on consensus of shared values. The actions of agents of disinformation spreading lies about the vaccine have undermined confidence in science and public health. And if we lose a consensus about public education and the shared values it represents, we have lost our democracy. But there is hope. In reaction to this assault on public education in Ohio, A group of 85 school districts have joined to challenge the intent of the Ohio General Assembly to greatly expand the educational voucher program and put private and religious schools on equal footing to receive tax dollars siphoned away from the constitutionally established common schools. Their position is that Article 6 of the Ohio Constitution makes no provision for publicly supported but parallel and competing forms of education supported by public funds. The Ohio Coalition for Equity and Adequacy of School Funding, which was itself established 25 years ago to ensure fair state funding for school districts, irrespective of wealth, is facilitating the legal efforts of districts in challenging the constitutionality of educational vouchers and the blatant violation of the Establishment Clause in establishing funding for religious schools. With so much at stake for future state funding of public school districts, more districts are expected to join this lawsuit in the coming weeks. So what is the lesson to be learned from public support of private and religious schools, along with the privatization of what is left of public education? Be careful what you wish for. If you think freedom and choice are the purest ideals to possess and not a sense of community to hold us together, most prominently seen in our public schools, think again. Every vote in every state legislature to offer or expand choice in the end represents a choice for disunion, for a fragmentation of our cultural heritage, a basis for community and our very nationhood. We are on the brink. If there is not a counter-movement to roll back this destruction of our communities by the Ohio General Assembly through the planned destruction of the common school, we will get what we deserve. So, yes, be careful what you wish for.
2: Thank you so much, Saul and Maddie and uh, Jeff, for that. Um, You can see how America is now following Australia uh, in giving money or wanting to give money to religious schools. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens at the Supreme Court level.
4: We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel. It's the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle.
0: Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377.
2: Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program, and here we are still in lockdown, but looking forward to children going back to school. And there's a lot of questions about how and when and and, uh, about vaccination and teachers and uh, just how it's going to be done. But unfortunately, the powers that be have left perhaps the real specialists out of the loop, namely the teachers. Angelo Gabrielas has got something to say. Over to you, Dale. Thank you,
5: Jean. Yes, this is uh, his release from the New South Wales Teachers Federation on the 9th of September this year. Uh, COVID recovery, consult us, don't insult us. No one wants kids back in the classroom more than teachers, except for their parents, of course. And such a return must be undertaken when it is safe to do so, and in full consultation with the profession. It has been a matter of contention and a mark of sheer disregard for teachers that the New South Wales Government and Department of Education continue to make decisions and set agendas for schools during the pandemic without one iota of consultation with teachers or principals. I made this clear in my evidence last month to the parliamentary inquiry into the New South Wales government's management of the COVID-19 pandemic, management that has been at best inconsistent and at worst bloody-minded. As a professional, teachers have always said that in the context of the pandemic, we will observe the expert health advice, and we will always seek the consistent application of that advice across all settings in affected communities. We have always said that what we will do and how we will contribute will be informed by the need to put the health and safety of our students, the teaching service, and our families first. To that end, I put on hand how shocked teachers were to learn through the media on the evening of the 27th of July of the government's decision to announce what has now been proven to be a clearly premature, ill-conceived return of Year 12, of year 12 students on the 16th of August. Through persistent representations by Federation, the government backed down on that decision.
2: That's the New South Wales government. Yeah. This is New South Wales.
5: Yeah, the ill-timed return defied logic and it certainly defied all the health advice and it was made without any prior consultation with the profession. For this government, consider yourself consulted if a directive is handed down from on high an hour before the Premier's 11am COVID press conference. Teachers were shocked and appalled because only a few days earlier the Premier had announced a national emergency against a backdrop of ever-increasing cases and very disturbingly many of these cases were young people. At the time 27% of all infections were among people under the age of 19. I also made clear clear to the inquiry how disgusted teachers were at the comments by Education Minister Sarah Mitchell, who said, I find it disappointing that organisations who should put the interests interests of students first are effectively lobbying for the HSC cohort in Greater Sydney to stay at home and missing out on the opportunity of face-to-face teaching. I put it on record that such a statement offended us to the core. We became teachers because of our belief in the transformative power of education and what it means to each child, family and their communities. I also strongly questioned the Department's decision to hire a consultant from KPMG to design a back-to-school roadmap for New South Wales. It beggars belief that this approach was taken when the experience and expertise lies within teachers might know a thing or two or three about how a school is run and the best way to manage such a return our teachers and principals not an hr consultant with military qualifications and no experience in schools are the are in the best position to navigate the intricate operations the complexities of running a school and therefore how to return how a return to school would be managed. The Public Accountability Committee also asked Federation about the digital divide exposed by the pandemic. I said there were many assumptions made about remote learning, the assumption that students have access to multiple devices, internet access, and that they have space in their home for remote teaching and learning. Regrettably, that is not the lived experience of many students, some of whom do not even have a desk to work at in their homes. While many students have access to multiple devices and various platforms, a lot do not. That's why in so many locations across New South Wales, teachers are photocopying reams of paper and stuffing envelopes to dispatch either through the post or deliver to a community centre or they're driving the streets, delivering material for our kids. That's the level of commitment by our teachers and principals who are striving to provide some level of education, educational continuity for students for as long as this emergency requires. There is no rule book. There's no blueprint for a way out of this pandemic. However, Federation has stated repeatedly that the union and our teachers have indicated a willingness to work constructively with the government on the necessary roadmap for return in one form or another of our students when it is safe to do so. And we'll have a short break and be right back. You're listening to The Dogs.
2: Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Programme and I hope you're still with us because we've got some good news for you. Disadvantaged students do better than the advantaged ones at university, even if that is if they get there. That means that the teachers in our public schools, where most of the disadvantaged students are, are doing a wonderful thing, uh, are, are very, very professional and very skilled. Um, we are actually looking at people who should be consulted when it comes to the management of COVID in schools. And Angelo Gaviolaitis is quite right. Our teachers have kept our younger generation uh, very well indeed through COVID. But Maddie, over to you. Let's find out more about this study that's been done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is an article by Jordan Baker. And they say students from disadvantaged backgrounds outperform more advantaged students with the same academic ability in their first year of university. Female and Indigenous students also do better than male and non-Indigenous students with the same Australian tertiary admission rank. The analysis of New South Wales senior high school and first year university academic results by the university admissions centre shows. However, the report said students from disadvantaged backgrounds were also much less likely to progress to year 12, attain an ATAR, or enroll in university than their more advantaged peers, suggesting that disadvantage has the greatest impact on a student's trajectory earlier in their schooling. Kim Payno, the General Manager of Marketing and Engagement at UAC, said disadvantaged students did slightly better at university if they managed to get there. There's a sense of internal motivation that could be coming into play and ability to cope better in the less structured environment at university, she said. At university, it's really up to you. You could float along or not, and it all goes down to motivation and resilience. The study, which used senior secondary school results and first year university grade point averages, found most students performed to a level expected of their ATAR, regardless of their socioeconomic status. For students with ATARs over 90, there was little difference in the performance over disadvantaged and advantaged students. However, as ATARs declined, students from lower socioeconomic quartiles were less likely to fail than those from higher ones. This effect peaks for students with ATARs in the 60s and 70s and reduces at ATARs below 60, the study found. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students also slightly outperformed non-Indigenous students with the same ATAR, as did regional students compared with those coming from metro areas. Um, The report said, at this stage, it is unclear whether Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students are underperforming in their ATAR or overperforming at university when compared to non-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. As ATARs decline below 90, male students also fail at higher rates than female students. The trend is consistent across all socioeconomic quartiles for students with the same ATAR and confirms earlier research that females perform better than males when their background has been accounted for. The UAC study also found that equity scholarships offered by universities did help students with ATARs between 60 and 90 achieve greater academic success. The study reflected the findings of previous research, such as a 2017 study of a West Australian university that showed students from government secondary schools, which teach a higher number of disadvantaged students, achieved a higher grade point average than those from private ones. Oh, that's an interesting statement. is suggest I suggest it's
2: because in the public schools these children are, in, in fact, taught self-reliance and resilience, whereas in private schools
1: this where is the parents pay
2: for the altar, they are spoon-fed. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And they can also so then, say,
5: my dad donated $8 million for the new library, so you can't
1: fail me. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, Craig Peterson, the president of the Secondary Principals Council, said advantaged students with educated parents who have a higher disposable income may be more complacent. What a lot of students learn is how to do well enough without having to extend themselves, he said. And isn't that right? Mm-hmm. It is. It is a little bit of laziness, a little bit of, well, you know, my parents are well educated, so why, why do I have to? Try? Yeah, it
5: was it was only the private school kids when I was at uni that I ever heard use the phrase, "P's mean degrees," and mm-hmm. that that just meant a P for a pass meant you still got your degree in the end. And I was shocked when I heard that, but apparently mm-hmm. that was that was their mantra.
1: Yeah, and I feel like those students are less likely to do something they're extremely passionate about and try to do it well because they're just trying to fit in with what their high society thinks well, is. Well,
5: they're after job high-income job. high jobs. That's, yeah, that's, that's it.
1: That's, that's it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the results may also reflect the different approaches of schools. Some are entirely focused on HSC examination, ATAR, as in we're going to get you through the process, he said. Other schools will say our job is to prepare you for the next stage of your life, to be independent, to be resilient. If you've got those skills when you get to uni and to work, you'll be a success because you're independent, resilient and creative. Well, very interesting. Well, We'll have have a a bit of a break break. and then
2: Sol has got some very interesting um, information for us. About children who are dyslexic. It's amazing the great people in history who actually were dyslexic as children. But um, a little bit of a break and back to solve. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked
5: relentlessly by this government. I'm the
4: school. The proud product of a government funded
2: Well, you're still listening to the dogs program, I hope, and we're going to find out about October being dyslexic month. What's
0: dyslexia? Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So October is Dyslexia Awareness Month. Um, the Australian Dyslexia Association conservatively estimates that dyslexia affects 10% of our population. In other English-speaking countries, the numbers are closer to 20%. Albert Einstein, Walt Disney, and Leonardo da Vinci are some of the many famous people who were diagnosed with dyslexia. Others include Jamie Oliver, Richard Branson, Whoopi Goldberg, and Steven Spielberg. Dyslexia is described as a persistent challenge with acquiring and using written language and is often found to be hereditary. It's most commonly diagnosed in school-aged children and early childhood educators and primary school teachers are vital in providing early learning pathways for children. The Australian Dyslexic Association says that children with dyslexia learn in different ways. Many children living with dyslexia have been shown to be talented and productive. Take action. During International Dyslexia Awareness Month, schools are encouraged to spread the word about ways to support people living with dyslexia by sharing their stories and planning activities that support their learning. Talking about dyslexia helps. Have you helped someone living with dyslexia? What did you do to make a difference? Can you recount their achievements or successes for others? Your students might like to imagine living with dyslexia and writing, drawing, or creating a film about people living with dyslexia. There is a series of three films listed in the article um, available on the website for information. Uh, It suggests that teachers can talk about dyslexia within the classroom. Some fun facts about dyslexia 50% of people with dyslexia are left handed compared to 11% of the rest of the population. And studying
2: large numbers of adults who can't read because Mm. they were not diagnosed at school Mm. as um, having dyslexia. And I think there's a um, a very interesting uh, film at the moment about people who are adults who are learning to read. But that doesn't mean to say they can't be brilliant. They're usually brilliant at maths or chess or something like
0: that. It says uh, studies have shown that people with dyslexia actually excel in areas such as creative thinking as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, The Australian Dyslexic Association offers a professional um, associate membership accreditation for teachers who have completed a 12-month minimum extensive training course in a multisensory structured language education. And the association also offers a school award certificate allocated to schools that are working towards the MSL accreditation or who have teachers on staff that have done this um, 12-month training course as well
2: well thank you very much it's very interesting isn't it and of course most of these children with dyslexia end up in our public school system where it uh, where they will meet up with well-trained teachers and uh, yeah. So this is a very important month for those people whose children have dyslexia. But we've got some other good news. Uh, We'll have a little bit of a break and we'll come back with Maddie's Great State School.
4: Every week on The Doctor Program, we have a special segment Show a different state school is a great school.
2: State
5: schools are great. Schools. School of the week.
4: State school. School are great of the school. week.
5: Great state schools.
4: State, state schools, schools. School are great of the schools. week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program.
1: And this week's great state school is Effing Secondary College. Epping Secondary College, established in 1976, is an academic college that aspires to provide its students with every opportunity to achieve educational excellence, personal growth and vocational success. The student population has increased significantly over the past three years, as the college's reputation for firm discipline, challenging learning programs and supportive teachers has placed it as a school of choice for many families. The current student population is 1300. The size of Epping Secondary College makes it possible for each student to be acknowledged and valued for their individual needs to be supported. There is a strong sense of community and a commitment to building the partnership between parents, teachers and students so that they work as a team to bring out the very best in their young people. The college provides a supportive, safe, harmonious environment which promotes learning for life, as an approach that centers on the whole learner. The college focuses on developing students' academic, social and emotional well-being by developing a wide range of skills in all areas, including goal setting, building confidence, developing organizational skills, understanding citizenship and exploring career options. Um, the college has incorporated a coordinated career awareness and planning process into the student learning program from years nine to 12. That includes the pathways program at year 10 and all year 10 students are enrolled in unit one of VCE industry and enterprise and the extending choices options, which allow students to easily access VETUS programs. The intensive counseling process enables them to individualize programs that best suit the preferred pathways of students either through the VCE program or the VCAL program, depending on their chosen career pathway. I think that's really beautiful, you know, really catering a career for these students through a counseling process. I feel like that is essential in every educational system and I don't think that every educational system has that. So, Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna shoot some stats at you from the My School website. Um, 43% of year 12 went to university last year, 23% to TAFE, and 12% to employment. Its IXIA value is 975. It is well below the average of a thousand. Only six percent of the student families have an income in the upper quartile, six percent in the upper quartile or obviously 25% of the Australian community, only 18% are from the second quartile, 31% from the third and 46% are from disadvantaged families.
2: So this is basically um, children from the lower um, income streams mm-hmm. of our society and it's also in the area which has been very, very badly hit by the, uh, the plague. Yes, because yes. Um, the people who live in this area um, are, are just not as wealthy as people who live in other areas and other schools that we've been looking at in the past few weeks. This is a genuinely uh, disadvantaged school, mm-hmm. but whether or not it's really getting all the money that it should is another question. Yes, but yes. certainly these children, the disadvantaged children in Epping, are very highly motivated because 43% of them are getting to university. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's some good teaching going on up
1: there. Mm -hmm. Good teaching, which is providing them with a drive for life. Mm -hmm. And you can't have that without good teachers. And I bet in this lockdown those teachers are going as hard as they can and providing the best support they possibly can.
5: It's just giving that love of learning, isn't it, you know, Mm -hmm. that creates that thirst for more
2: education,
1: you know. Absolutely, and that yeah. comes from good teachers. It does. Um, so what are national... their finances like? Oh, yes, I can tell you about their finances. Um, the Australian government provides $3.5 million and the state $13.9 million. The parents paid $470,000 or more than $300 per student in fees and raised $302,000 in 2020. All in all, it costs $14,000 to educate a child at this secondary school, which is it's a, it's bargain. a bargain. It's very good. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
5: Considering yeah. they reckon the average for a secondary school is 16 to 17,000 per student. If they're getting yeah. those ed- educational results on 14,000 per student, that's incredibly good value for money.
1: It really is. And I just wanted to quickly mention their um, NAPLAN results. They're just fine. And the spelling results are above average. So Isn't good that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> when you so
2: many of them, in fact, they're not coming from an English speaking background, there's some very solid um, academic and uh, drilling teaching going on up there to mm. make sure that those students. I'm not going
1: to fall behind it anyway, in any way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I have a feeling it, it also has to do with the parents wanting their children to succeed and probably supporting them a lot from home,
5: you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: It's an interesting yeah. kid school community. It would be an yes. interesting school community.
1: Okay. Yes. Um. Congratulations, Epping. You are fabulous and we love you. You are the Great State School of the Week. Yes. Well,
2: uh, that's enough for for today. I'm afraid our time has gone, and we are very grateful for allowing you us us into your into your home. And uh, we hope that you'll be back with us next week at 12 noon Saturday. And if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. But bye for now.
3: Lake City, Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I